This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. Yet we're back to back. Hope you had a great Independence Day. Hope you didn't lose any fingers to fireworks or uh, I don't know, get an upset stomach from too much barbecue or whatever. It was a, it was a work day here. I had the house to myself. Had a lot going on. Got up early yesterday morning and. Um, you know, recorded a show, wrote a couple articles over Gene's page, and uh, worked on chapter 18 in a new book. Today we'll start roughing out the final chapter, chapter 19. You say, Steve, 19's a weird number. Well, 19 is the year I got clean and sober. So, I say the year. That was the age. So I thought, you know what, this will be a little inside uh, tidbit for myself. In honor of me making a decision at 19 years of age to, um, to better my life. I was lucky to live long enough to uh, reach legal drinking age in the state of Mississippi. Of course, I'm from the 1900s, and back in those days, you could sneak over to the state of Louisiana at the young, ripe age of 18 and legally drink, and we did regularly. The uh, 3G Daiquiri Depot in Bogalusa used to have a $7 all-you-could-drink Wednesday night special. They lost money on me every single week, so we got our money's worth. But uh, nevertheless, so we'll start roughing out chapter 19 today, and then uh, I'll take a day or two to kind of rest, and then we'll start working back through the edits, and we'll work back through some rewrites and adding some additional detail. The good thing is I've made it all the way through 11 chapters through editing without having to have um, a lot to deal with. Got to go back and add a little detail to chapter 12. But uh, nevertheless, it's been quite the experience. For those of you that have ever been in recovery, it's been like doing a fourth step all over again. So uh, I feel great. I'm happy. It's good to kind of get all that stuff out. I'm eager for you guys to read it. And uh, the title of the book is When the Bottom Falls. It'll be out this fall. And uh, the good thing is it's about a five-week turnaround now with the printing companies. You know, we used to be I don't know, six to eight weeks, and then we had the national paper shortage, and uh, Dogpile, I was supposed to deliver that, if I remember correctly, they wanted it by September 15th, then sure we had it out in time for the holidays, and I delivered it, I think, August 29th, which was my dad's birthday, so it was kind of uh, apropos for me, and then they didn't get us the book back until February, it was like the weekend before college football season, college baseball season began. So we missed the holiday rush. Still sold a ton of books, but uh, all that being said, if you hadn't got a copy of Dogpile, let me encourage you to get it. I know many of you are kind of disenfranchised in baseball right now, but this is a nice coffee table book, something you'll probably want to have on your mantle. 
And you can get autographed copies at dogpilethebook.com. While you're there, get a copy of Alpha Dogs. That is, uh, inventory is running low on that. And then, of course, uh, Flim Flam is there, too. And uh, so be sure and check that out. And uh, it's uh, always great to uh, have some cool little keepsakes. There hadn't been a lot of books about Mississippi State written over the years, and I've written most of them. And that was one of my, you know, goals when I moved to Starkville. I said, you know, when I move to Starkville, I'm going to start writing books, and I'm going to start telling our story. The new book is my story, and uh, I guess a memoir in many respects. But it's basically about my path to recovery and life's lessons learned and 30-plus years of recovery from uh, chemical dependency. So uh, it's been a very transparent process, and uh, the wife has read every chapter before I've sent them to editing. Part of that is because sometimes she'll remember something that maybe I've forgotten, which is rare. Uh, but uh, occasionally she will. But also, too, you know, I'm trying to be respectful to her. I mean, I'm writing about some things that uh, a lot of women would be uncomfortable with their significant other putting out there publicly. Right? I mean, it's just the truth. You know, I, I lived a very, um, you know, crazy life for a while. And now this is not, again, this is not just some uh, tell-all book either where I'm naming a bunch of names and trying to make people look bad and got all scores to settle and things like that. This is not the case. But uh, I told her from the beginning, I said, hey, if there's anything you read you're uncomfortable with, then tell me and I'll pull it from the manuscript. And she's green-lighted everything. I said, you know what? I'm just glad you're being honest, trying to help other people. And that's really the, um, the motivation behind this. You know, it's just trying to help other people. There's so many people out there that are struggling with alcoholism, drug addiction, and they don't feel like they have anywhere to turn. So if you're a person that uh, is in recovery or know somebody that should probably seek recovery or you have been impacted by addiction, it's a good chance you have been. No family is immune from addictive issues. I mean, that's just been my experience at some point, whether it be someone within your nuclear family or within your household or a cousin or a coworker, there's always somebody that uh, you know that um, has an issue. And so I encourage you, pick up the book for them. This has been uh, a labor of love in many respects. I told myself after I wrote Dogpile, I said, I'll never, ever, ever keep this writing schedule again. Because I wrote that book in six weeks. Of course, I had been documenting the season the entire year, so I had a lot of material to work with. This time, there's been no interviews to transcribe. There's been, there have been a lot of facts that I had to go back and check. It's my life, right? And so nobody has to tell me that. A few things I've gone back, and my wife has pointed out a couple of things that were off chronologically, but you know, those are easy fixes. But um, it's the longest book I've ever written, and I've written it in the shortest amount of time. But nobody knows our story like we do. And so sharing that with you guys, and um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not worried about it, but you know, there are some things in here that I don't like to talk about, and so I'm putting those things out there. Uh, because it removes their power, right? I mean, that's the thing about secrets. I learned that in recovery years ago. We're only as sick as our secrets, so I try not to keep any. That's not to say that I've lived a perfect life. It's far from it. I've made a lot of mistakes, even in sobriety. But the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you, we talk about doing the four-step. You know, it's kind of like draining the pond, right? I mean, like you think about your heart and your soul or whatever. I mean, there, there are things that float to the top that we're kind of comfortable with everybody else seeing, if you really want to be healthy, you got to get out there and drag the bottom of that pond, man. Get everything out of there. Get everything out. And so, so here we are. It's not a vanity project. It's my hope that if we can, uh, 
it helps some people. Not a lot of books out there about addiction from people that are actually uh, in recovery. That's one thing that used to irritate me when I was young in recovery. I mean, not much irritates me as much anymore because even though I'm getting to be a crotchety old man, uh, I look back at that stuff. Like, I, I, one of the things that bothered me was like leading experts on addiction weren't addicts. And so it's one thing to have textbook knowledge and another thing to have direct knowledge. And so a lot of people wrote all these books telling you how to get sober. And they're as well intended as they may be. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, I'll say this. This may hurt some feelings. I don't really care. But I would never take marital advice from a, from a divorced person. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, not to say that they can't, they don't have some insight that may be valuable to you. Cause a lot of times you can kind of learn what not to do from people that have made the big mistake, but I would never say, you know, Hey, this person's been able to work through adversity and hold these things together. Let me go pattern my life after them. Well, no, no, you know, I, I know some people that, uh, that I love dearly and my wife loves dearly that there, there is nothing about their life that I would want. Doesn't mean I don't love me less. Right, I, I do. I, I love them, but there, there's no way that I would go pattern my life after them. And uh, I, I tell you, I won't give you a name here, but uh, there is somebody from my past, uh, a friend of mine that uh, I was recently reconnected during the process of writing this book. Somebody that I hadn't hadn't spoke to man in, in forever and a day. And uh, so we're talking about our lives and kind of catching up, you know. And and so I told him, I said, yeah, I said, you know, Dan and I just celebrated 30 years of marriage. He goes, like, dude, you're still with her. I was like, yeah, I'm still with her. And so we sit here and we start talking and, you know, he's got a couple of kids. I guess he's got three kids with uh, three different women. And he wanted to, you know, kind of give me the caveat and say, hey, but I was in a loving relationship with all three of their mothers. And so it wasn't like any of these kids were, you know, accidental or a mistake. I loved them all. And uh, at the time that I conceived these children, I loved their mothers. You know, he goes, but man, I tell you what, I wish I had what you had. You know, he said, I really do. I've just never met that person uh, that made me feel like, hey, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And there are a lot of people that live that way. But the bottom line is, you know, the path is the path. Not to say one's better than the other, but this works for me. I don't know what works for you, but this works for me. And uh, so good. glad to be back with you again today. We'll be back on schedule on Friday, barring something totally unforeseen. But uh, today we're going to talk a lot about football, talk about some offensive football. We're going to talk about Kevin Barbet. We're going to talk about SEC quarterbacks. And uh, I made a mistake yesterday in the top 10 list attributing a song American Woman to Three Dog Night. It's not. It's the Guess Who. So we're going to remedy that today with the top 10 list from the Guess Who. Many of you young bucks don't fully appreciate the majesty of the great Canadian rock band, the Guess Who. We're going to talk about them today. And uh, it's going to be a good show. And again, I'm happy to be back with you guys, too. And uh, really in a good space. You know, that's the thing about life, too. It's like, you know, when you like, when you feel like, okay, I'm being productive. I got things taken care of. I don't have a lot of anxiety uh, about much, you know, in life. I mean, just kind of living life. But the reality of it is, is uh, I've, I've always found when I have a plan and I'm being productive, everything else just kind of falls into place. Having a plan, writing things down, knowing what I want to accomplish each and every day, uh, works for me because I've you know, there have been times in my life I guess being you know above average intelligence I've just kind of flown by the seat of my pants and uh, while I can get things done I'm not nearly as productive as I am when I make a plan so uh, one of the turning points in my life and I'll get off of this too because even though it's my show I don't want this to be all about me I took this class one time uh, Franklin Covey planning class 
don't know if you've ever, if you've ever taken that. It's called What Matters Most. It was life-changing for me, absolutely life-changing for me, because while I had been very efficient, I had not been very organized in life, and I still use a lot of lessons learned in that class. Absolutely amazing class. Uh, taught us how to use a planner and how to delegate, things like that. And you think, I already know those things. It was just so incredibly important to me and uh, really changed the direction of my life. So if you're a, you're a person out there that maybe just kind of jumps from project to project and you don't really get a whole lot of stuff done, you just kinda, you're just kind of maintaining instead of gaining ground, let me encourage you. Find a Franklin Covey planning class. It worked for me. I think it'll work for you. All right, what works for me also is Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. No class needed, right? No instructor, you know, no homework to do, no need to go out and buy a planner. You know, the reality of it is, is that uh, Bulldog Burger Company is always there for me. And they're there for you too. I know when I need a quality meal, I can go put my feet under a table at Bulldog Burger Company I'm going to get great food, great service, at a great price. So many people out there, they're kind of cutting back and changing the ingredients and things like that. Not Bulldog Burger Company. Nope. Nope. You get consistency there. That's one of the best things about great restaurants is consistency. You know what to expect, and that's what you get at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you better looking. And then pick out a great restaurant-quality hamburger. If you're not ready to walk on the wild side, get the Bulldog. It's a great straight-ahead American rock and roll hamburger, right? Outstanding. But if you want to shake it up a little bit, let me encourage you. Check out the Pimentology. Have the Bryant. Have the Lauren. And you know I've been partial to that Mississippi barbecue burger. Be sure and check that out. Get a chocolate shake to go. Uh, those fries are outstanding, too, and they give you more fries than you could ever eat, right? It's just amazing. It really is. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. Okay, I wanted to spend some time today talking about Kevin Barbet and talking about this offense. One of the things that's interesting to me, Kevin Barbet is the guy that showed up at Appalachian State last year and uh, year one, right? And he inherited a team and an offense that was absolutely outstanding in 2021. Maybe you're somewhat familiar with uh, App State football. You know, I, I guess maybe the biggest moment ever is when they beat Michigan, right? After the big house, how cool that was. Maybe you've forgotten that. Of course, Barbe wasn't around then. But, um, you know, Kevin shows up last year, and they had been very successful offensively and really as a team in 2021. Played for a, uh, a championship. And so, and one of the things that's hard to do in life, and it's not just in sports, it's, it's, it's easy to take a bad team and make them average or even good. And sometimes it's really, you know, maybe a step forward to go from good to really good. It's hard to make good great. But Appalachian State in 2021 went 10-4 and four, and 7-1 and one within their conference. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you didn't. But Frank Pines was the offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach, and then he left and took a position in Miami. Now, he's back there now. But this is a program in 2021 that won a lot of games. They were 7-0 and at home, 3-3 three and three on the road, and then in a neutral field they lost their bowl game. But uh, they open up the 2021 season 
In Charlotte, North Carolina, they beat East Carolina in the Duke's Mayo Classic. I don't know what kind of mayonnaise that you, uh, that you eat. I've never had Duke's Mayo, at least not to my knowledge. And now that they're maybe an official partner of the SEC, maybe I should give them a shot. Let me know. I've just kind of always done the, uh, the regular stuff. I don't know what she buys, to be honest with you, but it's not Duke's Mayo. The next week, they go to Miami and uh, play at Hard Rock Stadium. They lose at ball game. And again, only lost, uh, you know, four games on the year. They hammer A-line. They get by Marshall 31-30. to They win at Georgia State. They lose at UL Lafayette, who, you know, that was the, I guess, the final year of the Billy Napier experience there in Lafayette. 41 to 13. They get Coastal Carolina, who was the number 14 team in the country, take down Louisiana Monroe, 59-28. I mean, is Louisiana Monroe ever going to be anything? I mean, honestly, I don't think so. Uh, they went to Arkansas State, 48-14, and uh, you know, Butch Jones might be on the hot seat there this year, Arkansas State. You know, for a while there, Jonesboro, Arkansas was like the cradle of college coaching, right? You know, Gus Malzahn had been there. Uh, Hugh Freeze had been there. Blake Anderson had been there. Not working out for Butch, though. We'll see. Uh, then App gets uh, South Alabama. They win at Troy 45-7. And they take down Georgia Southern 27-3. And so they play in a Sun Belt Championship game in a rematch against Louisiana Lafayette, and they lose 24-16. So UL gets them twice that year. And they kind of, you know, limped into the Boca Raton Bowl against Western Kentucky in that air raid attack down there, and they got lit up. But it was a 10-4 year, and 10 and 4 year, in the year on a two-game losing streak. But two of those four losses to Louisiana Lafayette, no, no shame in that. But what, what they really struggled is when they couldn't run the football. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security but convenience. 
No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit... Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y, official.com, forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Now, Entering the 2022 season, it was expected to be a little more difficult schedule, and in some respects it was. But what's interesting, Kevin Barbet inherited an offense that lost its top three wide receivers. You can say, well, you know, Steve, yeah. That, no, it was significant because the top returning receiver for 2022 had 12 catches. Zero touchdowns, and that's in a career. That's crazy you think about that. So basically, had to completely revamp the wide receiver room. That's an interesting dynamic in and of itself. 
they they returned a pretty good offensive line and returned a running game they thought was going to be impressive. But you have a new scheme. You do have a returning incumbent quarterback. But are you going to be able to you know, throw the football around the way you did previously? That, that's that's important to consider when you begin to look at this. Again, it's a change somewhat in offensive philosophy. They call it a pro-style set. It really isn't. It's very multiple. There's some elements of the spread in this scheme. But the reality of it is, is that despite the fact that there was a change, a slight change in offensive philosophy and a revamped wide receiver room, Kevin Barbet and the staff basically had pretty close to the same level of production on offense as they did the year before when they played for the Sun Belt Championship. Defensively, it was a much different deal. But what's interesting, you work through the numbers here, and, you know, actually last year, App State kind of went backwards just a little bit. It was it's all within shouting distance. But they also, um, you know, played two less games. And so you start looking at these numbers, and you say, well, you know, the gross number is comparable, but you got to factor in what was the average number per game. And so you look at total gross offense, yeah, the 2021 offense was better with the benefit of two more games. Does that make perfect sense? It absolutely does. And so a lot of times you look at these raw numbers without really getting into the details because here's, here's how it looks across the board here. So scoring in 2022 was up slightly over 21 for App State. They scored 34.5 points in 21, 34.92. You know, those extra, you know, basically half points not going to make that big of a difference. But, again, factor in a more expected to be a more difficult schedule with a completely revamped wide receiver room, and then your, your scoring margin actually goes up a little bit. Your, your average score per game goes up. That's a good number. Now, again, these are raw numbers. We'll go back and look at some averages in a few minutes here. In 2021, the App State offense had 318 first downs, only 276 in 2022. But again, there's two less games to work with. That's a pretty significant deal there. I mean, you begin to kind of do the math on that, and maybe you can do it in your head. I'll have to get the calculator out here. But it's basically a wash. In 2021, Appalachian State against, again, a less than, you know, challenging schedule in many respects. 22.7 first downs a game. Against a more challenging schedule in a first-year offense with Kevin Barbet, they actually go up to 23. Just slightly, but they go up. At the very least, you said they're maintaining. In 2021, Mountaineers ran for 2,691 yards. Those are good numbers. In 2022, they were down to 2,453. However... You do the math here and work out the averages. They ran the football with greater regularity and with greater success, 204 yards per game in 2022, over 192 the year before. All right, let's take a look at some passing numbers here. Again, the numbers in 2021 were greater than 2022. 34.87 passing in 2021. Last year, 3,011. You look at the averages, though, they actually went up. In 2021, 249 yards a game passing. 
250. So basically, it's constant. But there's a slight tick up in total offense. In 2021, Appalachian State amassed 6,178 yards for an average of 441 yards a game. Big numbers. Well, last year, it was 5,464. So again, the raw number is down, but the average, guess what? It was up to 455. 14 yards, it's 14 yards, right? And time possession was pretty much a constant through both years. And then you look at average uh, depth of target. That's one thing that's been a big big number here at Mississippi State. We had all these checkdowns and things like that of the air raid. It got better last year. But depth of target is something we're expected to see an increase at Mississippi State because we're going to scheme some things up and we're going to take some shots down the field. In 2021, depth of target at App State was 8.44 yards per attempt. Last year was 8.39. So, again, maintaining. And remember, again, this is with a revamped wide receiver room. Third down efficiency actually went up last year. In 2021, a year that they won double-digit football games, it was 35.98% third downs completed last year. In a 6-6 six and six year, 38.06. So offense wasn't the issue last year at App State. Again, brand-new first-year offensive coordinator, an average offensive category, everything, went, everything got better, everything. It may just be slightly better. But with less talent on the field and less defensive effort in many respects, Appalachian State was better defensively uh, in 2021. They were in 2022. And while you didn't win as many games, that didn't rest, rest on the offense. Now, interesting too, Appalachian State also had, you know, a returning starter, a quarterback in Chase Bryce. That's important to understand, too, because that's what we have. We have an incumbent starter. So the passing numbers for Chase Bryce in 21, 62.1 completion percentage, 27 touchdowns against 11 interceptions, quarterback rating of 151.1. Not terrible numbers, not great numbers. I would venture to say pretty good numbers. You look at – what did Barbet do with Bryce? Well, now all of a sudden, it's uh, 12 games, 219 completions on 349 attempts, completion percentage 62.8, touchdowns 27, interceptions down to six, quarterback rating all the way up to 155. You expect a jump from year to year from your guy. But again, factor in, too, this is a new scheme. And everything got a little bit better. And I think when you look at those turnover numbers, that's the thing that kind of jumps out too. Those are the things that excite me. Again, when you look at this, you begin to wonder and say, well, how, what should Barbe be like in year one? Well, if he, if he gives you the same production that he gave you last year at Appalachian State, I think you feel pretty good about the direction of things. And looking back at last year's schedule, again, uh, they lose the opener – to North Carolina, you know, the Tar Heels. I mean, and, and UNC, always a very solid Power 5 recruiter, right? I mean, I, I think we all would agree with that. They've done a good job over the years amassing some talent. Maybe they've under, under uh, you know, delivered at times when it's come to the expectation, but they were a 9-5 and five team last year. 
Appalachian State loses that game, and maybe you've forgotten this, 63-61. to App nearly pulled off. Big upset there. Well, they did the next week. They went down to College Station, and it, an offensive show, showcase it was not. But App State wins at A&M. At the time, A&M was ranked number six in the country. Little did we know the kind of year they were going to have. But this is when the wheels started coming off a little bit for Jimbo Fisher. Appalachian State wins the game 17-14. to 14. I mean, you do what you got to do. I mean, again, it wasn't an offensive showcase by any stretch of the imagination. But when you go back and look at these numbers, Appalachian State was better in every aspect in this game. Everything. First downs, 22 to 9 in favor of App State. Rushing yards, 181 to 89. Passing, 134 to 97. Total offense, 315 yards. Against a pretty talented Aggie defense to just 186. And so you go down there and you win the big ball game, and everybody's like, look at this. And I think a lot of people gave Jimbo a ton of grief, but maybe didn't give Appalachian State enough credit. The next week they beat Troy, 32-28. I don't know if you remember much about Troy, and, and I'm not taking a shot at Ole Miss here, but that was probably Ole Miss's best win last year. Troy goes 12-2 and two on the year. The only two games they lose the entire season were to Ole Miss and App State. They finish the year on an 11-game winning streak. They win the conference, the Sunbelt Conference game, they beat Coastal Carolina, and they beat Texas San Antonio, who was ranked in the top 25. So that's a quality win. So now you're 2-1, and one, and you could easily have been 3-0, and oh, and you played a surprisingly tough James Madison squad. You're like, Steve, it's James Madison. Yeah, I agree. It's James Madison. Have you forgotten James Madison won eight and three last year? Have you? There were a lot of people talking about James Madison was kind of a surprise team of the country last year because they got off. It's a great start. They, they were five and oh, you know, and, and part of that, so went over App State. And that was when people said, ah, maybe this App State team's not as good as we thought. All right, so after they beat, they, they, excuse me, they lose to James Madison, they blast the Citadel, they lose at Texas State out at, out at San Marcos. They lose, it's eight, it's eight point game. It's not like the offense didn't show up. Again, App State had problems, you know, stopping some teams. They didn't against A&M, but they did have some problems as the year went on, especially in the secondary, uh, slowing people down. And again, that's got nothing to do with Kevin Barbet because it wasn't a great Texas State team. You should have won the game, but you didn't. Well, they bounce back from that setback, and they go beat Georgia State 42-17. They get Robert Morris 42-3. And then they lose at Coastal 35-28. And you remember Coastal played for the Sun Belt Championship last year. They go 9-4 last year and uh, played ECU in the Birmingham Bowl. So another bowl team on the schedule. They lose at Marshall. Remember last year, beginning of the year, Marshall beat uh, Notre Dame, and everybody said Charles Huff's going to be the next great coach and didn't quite work out the way people expected. And then they, um, they take care of Old Dominion, 27-14, and then they lose again at Georgia Southern, 51-48 in double overtime. So the thing that, po- that I look at here is that Appalachian State was able to score on everybody. Everybody. And you say, you know what, hey, the A&M game was a defensive showcase. It really was. 
But you look at the numbers outside of that. I mean, the, the scoring margins in these games, even in their losses, very, very competitive. Nobody blew out Appalachian State last year. And I think a lot of that's because they were able to control the flow of the game. Yeah, it's 6-6. Six and six. They didn't make a bowl game. But how do you walk away from the season, that season, and say, you know what, hey, Barbet didn't do his job. He absolutely did. You lose to UNC by two. You lose to James Madison by four. You lose to Texas State by, by I guess that's 12. That's, that's the worst, the worst of them. Um, you lose by seven to Coastal. You lose by seven to Marshall. Lose about three. So every game, even in the losses, was single digits with the exception of that debacle down there in San Marcos. That's important to understand. Again, you know, the, the more I look at this Barbet thing, the more excited that I get. And I, again, I think, you know, when you look at the talent that he's inheriting here compared to what he had at App State, you know, especially at the wide receiver room, you start thinking, hey, this, this, this could be a pretty good deal. And one of the things that I think about, too, is, you know, the running back situation. Did they have anybody at Woody Marks caliber? I'd say no. I'd say that they probably did not. But I think, you know, l- let's not, you know, just completely dismiss all that. You know, this is because of the fact, too, that guys are good for their league. One of the things that kind of jumped out, too, in my review of App State last year, we start looking at scoring – you know, scoring throughout the year. The only quarter that they were outscored by their opponents in last year's season was the first quarter, and that was about one. Closing halves was big with Kevin Barbet. They scored 136 points to 93 in the second. In the fourth quarter, when the game is on the line, 121. So, again, closing halves were big, but Appalachian State – outscored opponents three out of four quarters, and then the one time they did just one point. So it's not like we come out with a couple of scripted drives just based on what everybody does and go down and run the blitzkrieg offense and scroll on the first drive and just kind of call it a day. This is a guy that has consistently found a way to score points. That's, an, that's big. Sacks were up a little bit last year, and again, some of that had to do with the fact that they were, you know, they had some guys back on the offensive line, but, you know, again, I go back to that revamp wide receiver room. You know, there, it takes a little while to kind of get everybody, uh, you know, where they need to be. You know, that, that's, that's a big part of all this, you know, getting guys comfortable. When I go back and look at the, you know, Russian numbers last year, they did it largely by committee. Uh, Nate Noel ran for 604 yards, Cameron Peoples 593, and then Amani Marshall with 389. Uh, Dietrich Harrington, 389. So you have four backs there basically kind of carrying the load there. That keeps guys fresher. You talk about that fourth quarter scoring, that's where it comes from. You, know, you didn't have a guy that averaged 100 yards, but you start looking at the average carry here. Guys, Nate Noel <laughs> averaged nearly seven yards a carry, and Cameron Peoples was right at six. If I'm averaging seven and six yards a carry, why would I ever throw the football? And then also you look at the ability to kind of stay out of negative plays. Chase Bryce is your quarterback, right? So, and he gets sacked 28 times. So you're going to have some negative numbers there. So you had 117 negative net for him. 
as a team, it was only 177 yards lost last year. That's it, 177, and only 60 of them were spread among the running backs. Nate Knoll, the top rusher, guys, he had one negative play. Guys, he lost six yards on the year. That's incredible. And so, again, you look at the numbers here, because that's a, you know, recent behavior is typically the most reliable predictor of future events. And so I look back at the Barbe file here, and it's easy to get excited about this, and I can see why Zach Arnett was intrigued by this guy. A lot of balance, you spread the football around, and you're scoring. And that's how many times have we said in recent years, hey, defense kept us in the game. We just wish the offense could do something. And then Kevin Barbe at Ab State found a way, with rare exception, offensively to keep them within a score. That's remarkable. And again, I think about, yeah, the reality of it is, is that um, everything got better. At the very least, you maintained the same level of offensive production and in most cases improved it in a 500 year over a team that competed for a conference championship. You had a bowl team in 21. You didn't in 22. But yet you still had the same level of offensive continuity with the first-year coordinator. If that doesn't speak to the caliber of coaching that Kevin Barbet is going to do, I don't know what does. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, quarterbacks a little bit more in the Southeastern Conference. But I just wanted to share this with you because I, I figure as close as I am to all this stuff, if there are things that are intriguing and interesting to me, I figure they are with you as well. And so, again, I think you go back and you, you do the numbers. And, again, the raw numbers say, hey, well, they, they took a step back. Well, yeah, they played two less games. But, again, the average numbers in every offensive statistical category got better with Kevin Barbe. All right, let's thank our friend Blair Chandler. Uh, close at Blair.com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Uh, Blair is a mortgage professional. Blair is a guy that knows how to get things done. There are a lot of people out there competing for your business. There are a lot of people out there that believe, you know what, hey, we want you to come do business with us because we need the money. You know, look for a guy that's going to save you a lot of time, effort, and anxiety. There's so much of that. I mean, listen, we've dealt with some of that recently too here, you know, getting things ready to go for the wife's business. And it pays to, to know that you have a professional working as your advocate to get things done. Blair's got 22 years of experience. Top 1% close ratio in the country back-to-back-to-back years. Not just in Wiggins. Not just in Pelahatchee. Not just in Bug Tussle. Not just in Possum Neck. In the country. You got an ace up your sleeve when you deal with Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And here's the deal. Let him know you heard about him on the boneyard. And maybe that helps you a little bit too, right? Maybe that gets your application pushed to the top. Now, Blair would never do that. He's a professional. But the reality of it is, as many of you have had the dream of home ownership elude you, or perhaps you're in some dire straits right now and you don't know where to turn, I'm giving you a gift right here. You go to Blair. Whatever your mortgage needs are, he can help you with them. 
And maybe today, if, you, if you're not ready, he can help you get ready. That's an important aspect, too. That's, a lot of people out there say, hey, let's just kind of throw it against the wall and see how it works. Blair can get you pre-qualified. And that way, when you go out, you're not wasting your time or your real estate agent's time. You're looking at homes, perhaps, that are beyond your means. Get organized and let Blair Chandler help you. Again, that's 601-500-2344. All right, top 10 list. We're going to make our apology to the guest who today is I absolutely screwed it up yesterday. You don't get your good friend and host slipping on music very often, but you did yesterday. That's what I get. I just try to do it all from memory. It was my mistake. I apologize. I apologize to the millions and millions of guess who fans out there. So we're going to do the guess who today. We've never done them. And uh, you may not know this. Burton Cummings was a vocalist from the Guess Who. This guy is outstanding. He's in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. He's had multiple platinum solo art, uh, act, albums, excuse me. But it all kind of came together in the uh, you know mid to late 60s in the psychedelic age. And then they began to kind of grow as a band. And um, they sounded so much like there was some Haight-Ashbury influence. And they sounded like a British band. And what's interesting, too, they were initially called Chad Allen and the Expressions. And then the record company decided to do this little crazy thing. They, uh, we had the British invasion. And so they released this single. And uh, it was a cover. And on the label it said, Guess Who? And so that's why the Guess Who is called the Guess Who is because of this marketing campaign from the record company. Because a lot of people, you know, as a former program director at a radio station, I can tell you there are some people like you don't want to expand the playlist too much because you've got all these proven bands out there. It's like, oh, well, here's the new one from the Stones. That goes right into heavy rotation. And all of a sudden somebody shows up and it's a brand. Hey, here's uh, Chad Allen and the Expressions. Well, who's Chad? What are they trying to express? I'm listening to this crap. And all of a sudden you get a, a record label, you know, a 45 in the mail or a single. It says, hey, guess who? And you're thinking, well, what's this? It's intriguing. So then they listen to it and the song ends up being good and they play it. And then people started calling them the guess who. They didn't understand that it was all a publicity stunt. Well, then Chad Allen leaves the band. And if there's no Chad Allen, there's no need to call the band Chad Allen and the Expressions. And so they officially became the guess who. All right, we're going to go with uh, number 10 is Albert Flasher. Albert Flasher. And uh, I li- what I like about this, it's kind of got that old uh, cantina style piano in the background, you know. Uh, a little bit Billy Powell-esque, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, maybe not as much John Lord, but without the piano, I don't think this song is the winner that it is. And uh, it ended up being a big hit for the guess who, Albert Flasher. Number nine, do you miss me, darling? Well, that's kind of self-explanatory. And yes, I do. I do. I do miss you. I think it's important to understand a lot of songs out here, uh, they're all very relatable. This is one of them. Number eight is Undone, and uh, this is one of those ones, too, that kind of has some of that psychedelic feel to it. And again, a lot of people go back and they're thinking, you know, the birds and people like that. This is kind of like that. This has kind of got that Haight-Ashbury type influence in it, even though they were from uh, Manitoba, Canada. Number seven, Laughing. It's a breakup song, and I thought we were in love only to find out you were laughing. You know, it's kind of a setup. You know, it's like you, you have, you're in love with somebody and they're kind of disingenuous with their intentions. And that's kind of what the song is about. 
We've all probably all been there. Maybe some of you have had more luck in love than I have. But uh, I say that after being married 30 years. My point being is that, uh, you know, I had a lot. Of, so years ago, I'll tell you a quick story. Maybe I've told this before, but we'll tell it again. It's worth telling. I had a friend of mine who used to call me Baskin Robbins because it was the flavor of the month, right? Because like I, as soon as I would date somebody, I'd lose interest. I, I, I'd, oh, I'd go out with her. She's great. Okay, what's going to do? I'd move on. And so I was kind of the disingenuous one. There were other times, too, I tried to hang on to really like somebody. It didn't work out. You know, when you're, when you're running in those circles that I ran in, all those relationships are temporary. But laughing, laughing, great breakup song. Number six, this is an interesting song and kind of the last big hit for the guest, too, because like, they begin, they evolved with every album. Like, every, it all sounds so different. Again, they kind of had the psychedelic sound. Then they were more of that 70s kind of over-modulated rock, and then things kind of changed a little bit. This one is a little silly, but it was a big hit for them. It's called Clap for the Wolfman. The harmonies on this are pretty interesting, but you can kind of tell maybe things are kind of spiraling in a direction that maybe is a bit much for fans, right? There's some bands out there that reinvent themselves on every album, and they're able to maintain a following. I, I, I don't know how. You know, I think when, when I think about you know, bands like Motley Crue and Rat, uh, Guns N' Roses, there is a consistency to what they do without really being redundant. Uh, Poison's another band of that, too. Poison's true to themselves. I mean, really, I guess uh, Native Tongue is the only album, I think, that is kind of, uh, you know, a departure, and that's because you had uh, Richie Kotzen on guitar, so you didn't have C.C. DeVille, so of course there's going to be a change there. But I think Clap for the Wolfman is one of those, again, the song you look back and it's like, I think it, there was the alienation of the fans really starting with this album. Number five, a really cool song because it was all part of like the hippie commune stuff. And uh, it's like, hey, it's, we're all going to get together and just be one people. And uh, how wonderful that would be, but social media will prevent that. So the vision of the guess who's shared the land will never be fully utilized <laughs> or realized but Share the Land, it's a great song. You know, it's just one of those things about, hey, we're all one people living a collective experience here, and we're going to share the land. We're going to do what we have to do to share this experience and make each other better. And so it's a little bit Pollyannish in many respects, but it also goes back to that whole hippie generation where everybody's like, oh, dude, man, we're all one family. That's everybody felt. Not everybody. But there were a lot of people, of course, in that generation that felt like, you know what, we got to do things differently. You know, and of course... Civil rights movement was really beginning. You know, the Vietnam War was happening. Our, our, our country was changing, and really changing in a very positive direction. And so this was kind of apropos for the time. Uh, number four, No Time. You have heard this song and probably didn't know the name of it or who even sang it. It's been in a bunch of movies. I love the guitar on this. The tone on this is just phenomenal. And again, it's a great track that I think that you are somewhat familiar with. You're like, oh, I've heard this before. I didn't know this was a guest who. But you'll check it out and you'll dig it. Now, the, the final three, I think we would all agree, these are the three biggest hits. Now, I'm going to hear from some of you guys that grew up and you're going to have some deep track, that, some obscure track. Oh, I can't believe you missed this one. I think we got this list really, really, really close to the mark here. But I think we would all agree these three are the top three. We may disagree on the order, but these are the three. Number three, absolutely love this song. The vocal is sublime. There's some nice changes in it. There's some good organ work on this. It's the great track, These Eyes. Great, great, great song. 
fabulous. Composition is great. The vocal's great. I think in, in many respects, you could say, as far as like start to finish, even though it wasn't maybe the big hit, the other two tracks we're going to talk about were, this might actually be the best song from a composition standpoint. Number two, love this one, man. And it's so familiar, right? You have a little bit of a disagreement during the day with your significant other. And you know you've kind of irritated them or whatever. You've gotten on their nerves. And it's like, we've had a good day. And, you know, something's happened. You know, whatever. And uh, it's no sugar tonight. No sugar tonight. And it's like, no sugar tonight in my coffee. No sugar tonight in my tea. You're not drinking coffee and tea at night. Come on. Well, you know what this song is about. You do. There's a little bit of innuendo there. you got to figure it out. But you know how it is. Sometimes you screw it up yourself, right? Everything's great. We're having a good day. You have a good night together, but no, you do something stupid or insecure or immature. And you make her angry, and there's no sugar tonight. Number one, we had this song on our list yesterday, but because of the fact that I screwed it up, we're going to go back to it today. From the guest who? From one of, arguably their best album. I think uh, probably Canned Wheat and then American Woman were the best two guest who albums. And so you probably guessed it, number one, is American Woman. We celebrated her yesterday as we declared our independence. And I'd like to uh, hope that the Brits all had uh, a great day at work yesterday, as uh, our friend Three Year Letterman on Twitter says. I don't speak red coat, right? Um, but American Woman, and it's interesting too, you look at the dynamics of this. Because, like, as an American band, if we wrote this and performed this, we wouldn't have called her an American woman. It'd probably just be woman, right? But the fact that they were from Canada, American woman kind of makes perfect sense, you see. And many people kind of equate the guest who with a British band. And maybe because of the fact that American woman uh, was performed uh, in those Austin Powers movies. But there was a lot of movement within the guest who camp uh, to make them sound a little bit more British because that was kind of, uh, you know, the style of the day. So American woman kind of fit. Didn't matter they were from Canada. It was a huge hit for them. So there you go. The guess who? Uh, some psychedelic and some classic 70s overmodulated sound. Uh, check them out. A lot of range in his catalog, too. And, and there's some songs, too, again, I think you're going to be very familiar with and probably didn't identify them as guess who songs. And then you, you also may have screwed up like me and thought they were Three Dog Night songs. I just, you know, my mistake. I apologize to all of you. And I got several messages about it. Uh, I got a couple people that hit me up on Twitter. Steve, come on. You said this on the show. I even had a guy on Gene's page message me, Steve, love the top 10 list, but you falsely attributed this great song to the wrong band. Three Dog Night's a great band too, but they didn't, they didn't write American Woman. So again, my apologies for the mistake, but it gave us a chance to do a good list today. And we're going to go back on Friday and uh, we're going to do a top 10 list from uh, one of your favorite 90s bands. And we've never done it before. We've had a couple of their songs on some top 10 lists, but um, we're going to do that. So kind of look forward to that. Those of you that are fans of 90s music, uh, it'll be, you're going to think, I can't believe they've never done this one. I hit Roy up today and said, have we ever done this one? Nope. Okay, we're doing that Friday. So look forward to that, kind of a little bit of a teaser there. Uh, and our 90s stuff does really well. I mean, it really does. Our 70s stuff is kind of okay. Uh, the 80s stuff kills. The early 2000s just okay. And I think a lot of that too is because the music... And I've said this before, the numbers bear it out. 
They absolutely do. And it's not just because of Napster. It's because the rock music in the early 2000s was changing, and a lot of it wasn't good. And record companies were pushing out all this uh, soy latte, Starbucks pop crap and calling it rap music, uh, rock music. And you guys, oh, I grew up with this. These guys are great. Man, they suck. What are you talking about? And you're like, look at them today, right? You, you look at the bands from my era right now, right? The fact that Motley Crue and Def Leppard are playing stadiums right now, and Motley's got a new album about to come out. Whether you like them or whether you don't, people are turning out to see them. And then your band, you can look at Blink-182. What their last album sell, 50 copies? I mean, come on, give me a break, man. Stop, stop, stop. Stop trying to prop these bands up. I have these discussions all the time with people. It's like, well, these guys were great. Well, were they? Were they? Where are they now? Oh, well, they're reuniting. Well, you have to run out of money, as did Motley Crue and everybody else. But the reality of it is is that uh, you know, a lot of those flash in the pans, I could talk about this all day, you know, all you Everclear fans out there, you know, maybe you identified with the uh, father of mine or whatever, but guys, looking back, it just wasn't that good. It just wasn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to grow up with iconic bands and a chance to go see these bands who were influential in rock music. I, I'm sorry. You know, that's the thing that I, I, I think that I was so blessed. I was, uh, you know, born in the 70s. And had a chance to, uh, you know, kind of hear the tail end of Led Zeppelin, you know, the, the, the end of the Beatles, the beginning of John Lennon as a solo artist. You know, Eagles, I mean, come on. So I got you, I was born in all that. Of course, we had disco too, you know. Then I got the, the glory of the 80s pop revolution, of course, metal, MTV, the Headbangers Ball, and we get grunge. And just when it was my turn to be an adult and start having kids and turn the mantle of rock music over to you guys, what do you do? You give me Green Day? Come on. Come on. So I've had to retake the, the, the throne here. And, uh, you know, it's the thing that I'll tell you, too. I'm not going to belabor the point much longer. Let me tell you this. This is the key to maintaining a youthful disposition in life. Is you got to keep new music. You got to buy new music or you got to download new music. However you obtain music, that's one of the keys, man. And listen, I'm, I, I like the nostalgia stuff too. I do. Just yesterday I listened to, uh, you know, the uh, Tesla Live album where they played at Full Throttle out there at uh, Sturgis. It was great. And there was some new stuff on there. But I think you, you got to embrace new music. That's why I love bands like Bad Omens and Sleep Theory. I'm not just lost in the 1980s. Listen to new music, not just new albums from your old favorite bands. Listen to new music. Absolutely listen to new music. There's some cool things happening in rock and roll these days. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find Roy on Spotify, where he houses those great lists for us, under the handle Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Also, that's his Twitter handle. And you can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. If you're not following me on Twitter right now, I wonder where you're getting your Mississippi State news, and chances are you're not getting enough of it. So follow us over at Scout Steve R on Twitter. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. That is the best place to buy Mississippi State merchandise without question. The best selection, the best service, the best pricing, the best people. I mean, let's just call it for what it is, right? 
A lot of people out there want to tiptoe around this and be all politically correct. Not me. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Nobody's doing a better job than Campus Bookmark. Go by and see their smiling faces. Neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You can swing in there, pick up your Mississippi State merch, change. And the next thing you know, you're just feet away from Mississippi State's historic sporting venues. If you can't make it to town to peruse their fine selections, you can do so on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet. Go to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, you get a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Mom, I'm telling you now, no matter what you did for Dad on Father's Day, you probably didn't do enough. Right? And let's just be honest about it. I mean, on Mother's Day, I mean, you know, they had like a palm leaf parade for you and Dad got like some socks from Walmart. It's true. You know it's true. Maybe surprise Dad with a surprise gift. So you know what, honey? I know how excited you are about football season. Maybe you're disappointed baseball didn't go the way you wanted. I want you to ride that ride with a smile and look forward to going to Davis Wade Stadium with a brand new Mississippi State shirt, whether it be a polo or a T-shirt or whatever. Maybe go ahead and start thinking about a hoodie for when things get cooler. Now's the time to act. And buy yourself something, too. You deserve it. We don't appreciate you enough anyway, except on Mother's Day. You know, we bring out, you know, a live band and, uh, you know, have a catered meal and things like that. Right, and everybody comes home and gives you the, all these great gifts, and and then there's dad, you know, everybody just on the way out of the door, they go to Amazon or whatever, and you know, buy him some Old Spice cologne and have it shipped in, and send a text, you know, let's take care of dad, right? Please, please, on behalf of all the fathers, let me tell you, we don't need to be made to feel special very often. But when you do something great for us, it's perfect. It reminds me of, you guys know the, you guys watch Bill Burr. I think he is the funniest comedian in the game today. He is so funny. He's a bit irreverent, but he's hilarious. And he talked about um, <laughs> how to make, uh, you know, the guy in your life feel special. And he said that uh, he and his wife bought a house and uh, the previous owners didn't clean out the garage. He's out there cleaning out the garage and it's out of the blue. You know, his wife brings him a sandwich, and he goes, I'm not sitting here saying women should be in the kitchen, make me a sandwich, whatever. But out of the kindness of her heart, you know, she knows he's out there working, doing a job, but, you know, he really didn't want to do. It's just necessary when you move into a new place. And said she brought him a sandwich, and she had cut it diagonally, which is love, and gave him a beer. And he goes, you know what? He goes, sometimes, man, you'll be sitting at a red light, and I'll think about that sandwich. Years later, I'm still thinking about that sandwich. You don't have to do a lot for us, but when you do something special for us, we certainly appreciate it. We do. And that's not in any way to excuse the guys. Guys, I'm telling you, do something special for your ladies as often as you can. You know, not, not that we're trying in any way trying to suggest that they're high maintenance, but uh, I think, you know, little tokens of love and little things like that. That's one of the things I try to pride myself upon is try to do things uh, to make my wife's life easier and to make her feel a little bit special. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe make a sandwich every once in a while. Again, not in any way being sexist. Just saying it, it's nice. We, we don't require a whole lot as guys. We really don't. You know, we don't, we don't need a lot. But any little token of appreciation is greatly well-received uh, by the fathers in your lives. Just, just saying. I'm just saying. All right, uh, final segment of the show here. And, uh, well, I, maybe not final segment. But, you know, we're going to be here talking about this for a little bit. May not have a lot of time here at the end. 
We're going to talk about returning quarterbacks in the SEC. We kind of stumbled upon this the other day, and I was thinking, you know, man, like half the teams in the league are going to undergo, you know, one of these uh, quarterback battles. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people, of course, you know, there's 14 teams in the league, and you, you kind of got who you think will be the incumbent starter. But I want to run through, you know, the numbers for some of these guys that are returning, that are expected to compete or ultimately win their quarterbacking job here in the SEC. All right, um, we'll start with Florida. And, again, it just blows my mind that Florida is projected to have a losing season this year. Again, I tell you, Billy Napier, you, you, think it's, you think it's a game if you want to. Florida has a mediocre season. Scott Strickland's going to have a difficult decision to make. Uh, Florida, of course, uh, loses Anthony Richardson, a guy that was ultra-talented. The decision-making wasn't always uh, the best, but the guy was such a great athlete. When things broke down, he could make teams pay. But uh, Jack Miller III is a guy that you know, got some snaps under his belt. Uh, 59.1% completion percentage, just 180 yards last year. You know, probably a little bit of a surprise if he wins the game. But uh, of the returning quarterbacks, uh, the least productive because he played behind a future NFL guy. That's an important aspect of all this too, right? All right. Um, and, of course, Miller played in the bowl game. It was terrible, terrible. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Graham Mertz can win that job. Transfer in. All right, Kentucky, you know, all we've heard for, you know, the better part of two years is that Will Levis is going to be the next Tom Brady. And uh, now he's gone after two years there. And uh, I'm never a fan, to be quite honest with you. Never a fan. So Devin Leary's transferring in from NC State to compete with uh, Kaya Sheeran from Kentucky. Extremely talented athlete, but a guy that, you know, had to kind of be pressed in the service a couple times last year, really before he was ready. Completion percentage of 58.6%, just 187 yards, a couple touchdowns, and a pick. But uh, a guy that, you know, that they think has some uh, potential kind of moving forward. But uh, I think the Kentucky quarterback situation's going to be a bit of a mess this year. Uh, I think Kentucky, again, be a fairly mediocre team. All right, moving on up here. Alabama, what's going to happen in Alabama? You know, it's been a great run of quarterbacks. You know, Bryce Young, of course, exceptional. Before that, you had Tua. You know, it's, it's just one thing after another. Alabama just is a machine. Uh, Jalen Milrow, an incredible athlete, played a lot, kind of a mop-up. And then, you know, uh, Bryce was hurt last year in a game. And he had a really big game. Um, Milrow did. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, is, is Ty Simpson – Ready to truly compete. You know, Todd, Dad, Jason, of course, a Bulldog and uh, former coach at Middle Tennessee. I guess he's still there. But um, it'll be interesting. But, uh, you know, Milrow is a guy that people are excited about because of his overall athleticism. He has a big arm. He really does. But I, I think he might even be a better runner than Bryce. Maybe a better athlete all the way around. Bryce, obviously, a lot more polished quarterback. But, uh, you know, Alabama's Alabama. The supporting cast around him, no matter who the quarterback's going to be, it's going to be outstanding. Georgia, of course, you know, we talked about this extensively. Stetson Bennett, and that was not expected to be a dude, and he ends up being a, an SEC legend. Went back-to-back NAFL championships. Carson Beck now expected to be a guy to really challenge here. 
And of course, uh, Mike Bobo, dare I mention the name, going to be the play caller now that Todd Monken's moved away. But uh, a, a lot of competition here. But Beck, of course, is the guy that expects to get the job. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. But um, your Carson Beck last year, 74.3% completion percentage, 310 yards, uh, just under nine yards per attempt, four touchdowns, no picks. Texas A&M, you know, we saw Connor Wegman. You know, he had, he had a decent game against Ole Miss and uh, kind of got forced into action there and had a chance to win the game late and uh, give Ole Miss some credit. They, they shut him down. You know, that's the thing. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, Max Johnson was expected to be the dude. Didn't work out. Haynes King was hurt just about any, his entire career, it seems. Uh, but Wagman's a guy. You know, what will Bobby Petrino do with him? I think they'll simplify the reads. They'll utilize the tight end a lot. But 55.3% completion percentage, 896 yards, eight touchdowns against no interceptions. And some of that's got to do with depth of target. They're very conservative with him. But uh, hit, had a couple of big hits against Ole Miss, but there was just, you know, it was too much. Just too much too fast. Uh, Joe Milton expected to take over at Tennessee. You know, you saw what Hendon Hooker was last year. Incredible. Incredible. Incredible guy, Hendon Hooker. I mean, that offense was so fun to watch, especially since we didn't play him. But uh, Hooker tore his ACL, and, uh, you know, things changed. But Joe Milton, big arm, great athlete, 64.6% completion percentage, 971 yards. Depth of target, nearly 12 yards. Tennessee is going to sling it around. Ten touchdowns, no picks. And so we'll see what happens with Milton. But uh, there were some people that hey, thought last year he might win the job. But he didn't. And Hinton Hooker had a great year. All right, my, the re, one of the reasons Mike Wright is at Mississippi State is because um, A.J. Swan became kind of the quarterback of preference at Vanderbilt last year, even though Mike had some big moments. I mean, they don't – a couple games they don't win without Mike. You know, and I'm glad that we have him. But A.J. Swan now expected to be the guy. Uh, and, again, they'll abandon the two-quarterback system and probably just go straight with, with Swan. But 58.1% completion percentage, 1,274 yards. Depth of target, 6.4. Ten touchdowns, a couple of interceptions. But uh, expect him to be the guy. Big, strong, physical guy. More of a prototypical pro-style passer. Auburn's quarterback situation is uh, very much up in the air. You got some guys that are back, but you have some transfers come in. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, Robbie Ashford was a guy that is really kind of an athlete playing quarterback. Now, Hugh Freeze has done a great job over the years taking that dual threat quarterback guy and making him serviceable. Now, the, the conversation that I had with people at Auburn when I was done it for baseball is that Ashford really thrived in this scheme. So we'll see. I don't think he wins the job, though. But uh, he is the most accomplished guy in the Auburn uniform. It's back on the roster this year. But less than 50%. 49.2% completion percentage. And the game really sped up on him. He was a guy, if you ever got pressure in his face, he's going to throw the football away. 1,613 yards, depth of target, 6.5 yards, 7 TD, 7 interceptions, ball security, a really big issue with him. I just don't think he's going to win the gig. I just I, – I don't. Maybe he's a gadget guy, whatever. Uh, K.J. Jefferson, 
you know he was hurt last year, and Kendall Browles really got the best out of him. It'll be interesting to see how Dan Enos utilizes him, you know, how much of the playbook is carried over this year. But K.J. is a star. He is a star. But I think the supporting cast around him is maybe not what it has been. And they're a team, too, that uh, is going to have to win some shootouts because defensively things have been such an adventure. And then you lose Barry Odom, so you got a defense that was among the worst in the conference returning after losing some key pieces. And, yes, they hit the portal hard, but you got a new uh, coordinator that's having to install a scheme and get new guys comfortable playing with each other. Could be an interesting year. But, you, you again, typically the team with the best quarterback wins. And I think K.J. is good enough to lead this team to some wins, especially if they get a little help on defense. But uh, K.J.'s a dude, man. And, again, he missed – a handful of games last year and still had a really good year, 68% completion percentage. And that was really the, the knock on K.J. coming out is accuracy. You know, he could throw it a mile, but he had a tough time kind of hitting that, you know, 10-yard crossing route. Timing was always an issue. Took some steps last year, even though he was hurt. But 2,658 yards, depth of target was nearly nine yards. 24 TDs, five interceptions. And, of course, he didn't play against some of the better defenses in the conference because of an injury. But, again – K.J. should have a big year. And, of course, Rocket should help save some wear and tear on him uh, in the running game. I think K.J. is going to have a big year. I just don't know if that record improves over last year. It's because defensively things are just so shaky. All right, Missouri. Brady Cook is back for them. And uh, there were times last year he looked really good. Other times he looked very pedestrian. And so we'll see. And, of course, they had some young receivers last year. Things will get better. And, uh, you know, Sam Horn is transferred in there. Uh, excuse me, signed in there. And then Jake Garcia, of course, has come in too. So then there's going to be some competition here. I think ultimately Cook wins the job here. 64.7% completion percentage, 2,724 yards, 7.1 yards per attempt, 14 TDs, 7 interceptions. But, uh, you know, Brady's a guy too. That, like against Arkansas, he made big throw after big throw after big throw when the game was on the line. So – That'll be interesting. Now, the guy to me that is so intriguing, we played him last year down at OSU, and Jaden Daniels didn't do a whole lot in the passing game. Where he hurt us is when we would flush him from the pocket and lose contain because him him out on the perimeter against a linebacker is a mismatch. He's going to win more times than not. And I, th- I said then, I said, there's just no way this guy finishes a season the way he runs the football. But they were able to keep him healthy. Got a little bit banged up every now and again, but give Jaden Daniels a lot of credit. They don't win the West without him. Of course, he didn't play exceptionally well against A&M, but, you know, we're all doing a bad game every now and again. Daniels, nearly 70% completion percentage at 68.6. 2,913 yards, depth of target, 7.5. And they do a lot of that boot action type stuff, and they hit the tight end on the crosser or on the tight end out, things like that. So they – they kind of simplify his reads a little bit and let his overall athleticism take over. I like how Brian Kelly used Jaden Daniels. It'll be interesting this year to kind of see, you know, if they open the playbook up a little bit more. They're just kind of content doing what they're doing. 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. That was the thing, you know. When he got there from Arizona State, people were wondering, like, you know what? There's, there's good Jaden, there's bad Jaden. Uh, good Jaden played really well last year. And uh, interesting to see what Malik Neighbors does for them, too. But uh, you know, a lot of people thought Miles Brennan was going to be the dude. He ends up retiring for football. But Jaden Daniels, again, very accomplished guy that played in the SEC championship game last year. 
uh, made some plays. All right, the third most productive quarterback returning in the Southeastern Conference is Ole Miss's Jackson Dart. And I'll be honest with you, uh, he was better. Better than I expected him to be last year, to be quite honest with you. He proved to be a much better athlete, I think, than people fully appreciate it. And give you know, Ole Miss a lot of credit for uh, utilizing his ability to run the football, make that you know, part of their offense. And that, that was one of the things that made Matt Corral so great is the fact that you had to account for him in the running game. Dart actually might be a more powerful runner than Dart. I don't know if he has the same foot speed, but a uh, good year for him. Uh, ball security was a bit of an issue, obviously, but uh, expected to be the dude. Of course, he could get some competition. They had some transfers in, obviously, with Walker Howard and Spencer Sanders. But uh, yeah, a lot of depth in that quarterback room, but you can only play one, right? There's only one quarterback on the field. But uh, 62.4% completion percentage, 2,974 yards, just shy of 3,000. Depth of target, 8.2. And then 20 touchdowns, 11 picks. Again, ball security an issue. Uh, and, you know, hey, competition makes everybody better. And so – can Jackson Dart make a jump this year? Well, you certainly would think so. But if he can't, you know, you got some guys that are pretty capable of uh, playing behind him. I think Walker Howard's probably the quarterback of the future there. There was some talk, too, that possibly Dart might leave the program, which would make him a two-time transfer. But uh, that appeared to be the case. And, again, I go back to the uh, Egg Bowl. I really did a good job kind of uh, taking him away from them in the running game. Good job by the Bulldog linebackers. Um, so that's an important part of things, too. But, again, you know, that's going to be the key for Ole Miss this year, you know, ball control. And, of course, they're going to do a lot of uh, up-tempo stuff. I mean, that's what they do. And uh, Dart, obviously, second year in the system. Uh, should be pretty good. All right, Spencer Rattler. You know, that was a huge coup for uh, Shane Beamer and the crew at South Carolina when they got Spencer Rattler. Everybody's like, you know what, this gives them immediate credibility. And it did. And uh, he has done some big things and done some bad things. He's been kind of loose and fast with the football, and uh, it's, it's cost him. But he's a former five-star, you know. Played at Oklahoma. A lot of people thought he was going to be a Heisman candidate. Things maybe hadn't gone to script, but, um, you know, he is going to be a big-time dude, and he will win this job easily. Tanner Bailey, of course, is there. Transfer from Oregon uh, out of Gordo, Alabama. I got at Mississippi State targeted extensively. Just couldn't get him. And then uh, Luke Doty, of course. And um, – but Spencer Rattler, 66.2% completion percentage, 3,012 yards, 7.6 depth of target, 18 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He also put the ball on the ground a little bit too. So that's the thing with Spencer Rattler is he'll, he'll give you the football. As much as they throw it, you know, we're going to catch some of them, right? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, do they make him be more of a refined pocket passer or they let him get out and create because some of the times when he got out and created and he tried to play backyard football that's when he kind of got himself in trouble so how do they get him to play more within the flow of the offense that's going to be probably the difference between a good year and a pretty good year uh, for them they lose a lot but uh, Rattler of course a pretty big uh, you know piece to build around your most prolific returning quarterback in the southeastern conference your Will Rogers 68.0 completion percentage, 3,974 yards, 6.5 depth of target. That's going to get better this year in this new scheme. 35 touchdowns against eight picks. And I guarantee if you go back and look at some of this, I think half these picks are on tips, and other halves are where Will just kind of throws the ball up for grabs. I mean, and as much as we throw it, you expect some of that too. Again, as much as we throw it, they're going to catch some of them. But some of these – I think there was like three last year that I remember that went off our receiver's hands 
into the hands of a DB, right? And so those aren't on Will. Some of the other ones were. A couple balls he just kind of threw up for grabs, hoping his guy could make a play for him. Didn't always work out. I remember one really ill-advised throw in the bowl game, you know, against Illinois. We're driving down there, uh, fixing to kind of put that thing in the end zone. The next thing you know, uh, the drive stalls out. But the reality of it is, is Will is now going to be in a scheme that's going to take a lot of pressure off. Not that he can't handle the pressure. I think you're going to see him take another step forward this year because there's just more, there's more tools in the toolbox. You know, you're going to be able to utilize more of the running game. I think Will's ability to improvise at the line, right, he's going to be able to see, you know what, hey, let's check into this, let's check into that. And, and of course, early in the year probably be some vanilla with that. But I think this offense actually fits Will really well. He, I don't think he's a system quarterback like many people are saying. And, and like as Zach Arnett pointed out many times, his – Completion percentage on throws of 20, 25 yards or more is among the best in the country. We just didn't throw it that often. We kind of you know, picked our, our shots a little bit. I think you're going to see more of that this year. I think when people have to respect the running game, you're going to see Will get more man-to-man coverage and be able to get guys outside. And that's Even Kirby Smart said that in 2020. Every time they went man-to-man, Will Rogers burned them with it. And so they're not going to be able to confuse the quarterback the way maybe they have in years past. You're not going to be able to disguise the coverages with the same frequency because of the fact when you do, we're going to be able to gash you with this running game. We're going to be able to get you with the end around. We're going to get you on the puff pass and the jet sweep and things like that. It's a much more dynamic offense, and it's going to be much more difficult to defend. I think and as a result, Will Rogers, while his numbers may be – and I hate to use the term what worse – but his numbers may not be comparable to what they were last year, I think you're going to see a more efficient quarterback. And that's not in any way a criticism of him. I just think there will be a lot less for him to have to do. All the weight of the world won't be on Will Rogers' shoulders. And I think as a result, you're going to see Will play even better. Towards the end of the year, you could tell Will was gassed a little bit. Didn't play well in the egg ball. But when the game was on the line, he stepped up and made some plays, right? Uh, the drive right before the half was very significant. Didn't play exceptionally well in the uh, ReliQuest Bowl. I think a lot of that, too, is because you get towards the end of the year, people pick up tendencies, and I think with this offense, Kevin Barbet is going to keep people guessing. And I think Will is going to have a blast in this scheme. I really do. Um, So that's the thing. You look back last year, you know, Appalachian State scored nearly 35 points a game. It's crazy to think about that, right? And then with the talent in this offense, kind of going back to our big first segment about Kevin Barbet, I think this is a great situation for Kevin and a great situation for Will. And I uh, saw Will a while back, and he told me he understands everything that's expected of him. Now it's just about getting everybody on the same page. And, and Will will do that. Will's a great leader. And this is the thing I don't think a lot of our fans fully appreciate. Guys, his teammates love him. They absolutely love him. They do. And you'll hear Tulu and those guys say, hey, Will's a dog. Will's got that dog in him. He's a winner. And I think what you're going to see from him this year – I think you're going to see a different part of him. And, I, and I'll be honest with you guys, I've told you this a couple of times. I've never seen Will Rogers throw the football better in my life than I did at State's Pro Day. And he'd probably say, well, I missed a couple. Guys, he looked fundamentally and mechanically at a different level. He did. Absolutely did. And so I'm eager to see, you know, what happens with Will as we get into the season. I'm eager to see him in fall camp for sure. And, of course, this is a guy that's kind of rewritten the record books here. But I think his 
which should be his final year, very well could be his final year, I'd love for him to come back. Uh, but the reality of it is is that, you know, he's been in school a long time. He may decide, you know, this is the year. But the reality of it is, is that I think this scheme actually lends itself to his skill set even better than the air raid did because Will has an extremely high football IQ. His dad, obviously, you know, one of the best offensive minds in the state of Mississippi. And so Will has been watching film and breaking down tendencies and coverages and protections his whole life. And so he will have a running start into this thing. I think, Will, you know, we got to get on the same page with our checks, you know, because it's, it's a completely different uh, system in that respect. But I think as a result, I think you're going to see Will almost giddy at times because of the fact he's going to recognize something that the defense is showing him and going to be able to exploit that with more weapons than he had last year. I think that's an important thing to understand. With our alignment last year, there's only certain things we could do, right? You all saw it. You know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, innovation over the course of the year as far as, uh, you, know, you know, how we line up in different formations. We, you know, we did a few things here and there. And, you know, we'd stack the receivers a little bit and kind of flip them from side to side. But the reality of it is, you know, with this, the, the tight ends, attached tight ends and all the motions and shifts we're going to do to try to get numbers and get leverage to the outside, I think Will's going to see that and have the know-how and the ability to get us out of an average play and get us into a great play. I'm excited about it. And, uh, again, there's a lot of moving pieces, but you've got a veteran offense. And so I think really you know, maybe the prevalent theme in the show is the fact offensively Mississippi State should be a better team this year. I think we're going to be much more difficult to defend this year. You know, we all thought air raid, and we all thought about those Texas Tech teams when it was all relatively new, right? I mean, obviously we saw it before, you know, with How Mummy, but you know, Mike Leach took it, you know, to – even kind of more absurd levels because of the fact that they could uh, they go out there and exploit people. And a lot of people weren't doing a lot of drop eight. And I remember a great conversation I had with Coach. We talked about drop eight. And I was like, you know, about attacking a drop eight. And he said, you know, I don't think anybody in the country seen more drop eight than me. And so when you think about Will Rogers, you know, Will Rogers has probably seen more zone coverage than any quarterback in the country during his career. And when he's been able to get into man coverage, he's been able to exploit it. Go back and look at that 2020 ball game. That, that looked a lot like Texas Tech, right? When State played LSU and we had Osiris Mitchell and uh, Javante Payton just kind of running wide open. Tyrell Shavers getting behind the defense, you know. That was reminiscent of the Texas Tech stuff, right? And then everybody's like, hey, let's kind of mimic what Barry Odom in Arkansas did and uh, kind of keep these guys in front of us. We struggled. And I think now you're going to be able to run people out of that because of the fact I don't think anybody's going to line up and run drop eight against us anymore. I think people are going to have to run more of a base defense. And I think that is a good thing for Will Rogers. It's going to be a great thing for Mississippi State. Again, you guys know I'm very optimistic about the season. I'm not picking us to go to the Rose Bowl or anything. I think it's going to be a big year, though. And I do. If we stay healthy and we have the guys you know, make this exponential improvement that we're all anticipating – you know, Jaden Wiley, could, you know, you get a big year from Jaden Wiley, that's going to be significant. You know, you know Tulu Griffin is a guy that's been underutilized at Mississippi State. Now, all of a sudden, you move him to the slot, which is where he should have been all along. You know what you're going to have in Xavier Thomas. I mean, so you've got some weapons, maybe perhaps that really hadn't been available to Will Rogers the way they will be this year. I mean, Justin Robinson's a guy that took a big jump for us down the stretch last year. You know, we wouldn't sign him from Georgia expecting him to be that X. 
can you imagine how physical Justin Robinson is going to be on the perimeter blocking? And we run that counter play, run the counter tray with Woody Marks, and you got Justin Robinson out there shielding off a DB. I mean, my goodness gracious. You know, as long as we keep the hands inside, Justin, we don't call for a hold there. That could be a big play. I mean, I don't know that anybody's going to have the ability to do that the way we are. Uh, so it's all going to be great. And, again, I'm excited about the year. I'm excited about the offense. But, again, I think when you go back and you look at what Barbe did, he took a good offense from 2021 at App State and then showed some improvement. It wasn't a dramatic improvement. You know, it wasn't like all of a sudden, hey, this is a team that was just kind of average and pedestrian, and all of a sudden they're scoring. You know, listen, App State, one of the top 25 scoring teams in the country last year, right at 35 points a game. Guys, granted, that's in a Sun Belt. But if you look at some games we had last year where we struggled, and every game that Barbe called last year for Appalachian State, the offense moved the football. And even in that defensive slugfest with them in Texas A&M, which was a surprise to everybody, they nearly doubled up A&M and everything offensively. And so I think it's pretty safe to say that Kevin Barbe, with the inherited talent here and the experience here, that you could expect to see this offense really take a solid stride this year. All right, let's get ready to get out of here. And uh, a couple things I want to say before we go. Uh, jeanspage.com, the home for Mississippi State Sports Scoop. And uh, we're excited to get into fall camp. It'll be here before you know it. Dead period ends here in about uh, three weeks or so. Is that right? Maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and so there, don't expect a lot of recruiting news between now and then. You know, we talked about – we had a couple of spots to use in a transfer portal. You know, you can't host them now, right? And so as you begin to ask yourself, so do we utilize these scholarships? Probably you put a couple walk-ons on, and then, of course, you can use them again in December. You put them on now. Uh, APR is not the thing that it used to be, but you just kind of want to reward some guys, maybe some seniors that have uh, given their blood, sweat, and tears to this program. And maybe you pay for that final semester of school for them, you know. They pay for their senior year. You know, that, I remember we had that happened to Cody Schechnader. It was amazing, right? And so all that's important, too. So I don't think that we're going to add a transfer at this point. I thought maybe in the spring we would, but it doesn't appear that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, most of our transfer portal activity is going to be on the baseball side of things. And, again, eight days from now, the college baseball spring sports transfer portal will close. And uh, people forget, you know, that the MLB draft begins on Sunday, right? So next week's a big week for Chris Simonis and college baseball coaches around the country. You get to the draft, kind of have an idea of where everybody you – know, some of those guys aren't going to get picked, right? So you don't have to worry about that. But when you're thinking about, you know, like Aaron Nixon, you know, I've, I've talked to a handful of scouts and, you know, people are like, hey, we love the guy. However, he didn't have a big 2022 – of course, he was a freshman All-American in 21, didn't have a big 22. He was hurt most of 23 and said, you know, I just don't know if anybody's going to draft him high enough to get him to go unless he just wants to go. You know, and we're talking maybe 18, 19, 20 rounds. Is that enough for Aaron Nixon? I mean, you, are you going to sign for peanuts? I think that's where Charlie Winfield and Bulldog Initiative come in. It's like, hey, you can leave and go begin your pro career, and you're probably going to sign for, you know, 1500 bucks, 5000 right, maybe. You know, hey, we'll give you that money to come back, and it gives you another bite at the apple, right? That To me, that makes good sense. Amani Larry, again, draft projections for him are all over the place. Some people had him in the, going in the first ten rounds. You're starting to see that slip a little bit. 
you know, is Amani drafted high enough to go? I don't know. I know that he wants to sign. I've had many people tell me he would love to sign and begin his pro career, and that's not in any way a criticism of Mississippi State. But he came to Mississippi State in hopes of uh, boosting his pro baseball stock. He's probably done that a little bit, but again, projections are everywhere. But it only takes one team, right? It doesn't matter if everybody else doesn't have you on their board. If one team does and likes you uh, and can pay you enough to get you to sign, that makes good sense. But you start running through this, and you think, you know, could Amani come back? Yeah, it's possible. I don't know how likely it is. I think Aaron Nixon, I think there's a good bet that he's back. I had some people ask about Cade Smith recently, so I checked in with a friend who checked in with a national cross-checker, talked to a couple other scouts about him, because Cade didn't have a great combine. Um, but people love Cade Smith. I mean, they do. They love his, his mental toughness. They love his, uh, his, his makeup, and he's a guy that's willing to go out there and compete. Of course, uh, I'd love to have had Cade Smith healthy, you know, last year, as we all would have. And, you know, Cade, of course, had some issues at the beginning of the year. But, you know, Cade's a dude. And uh, I hate that Cade won't get the opportunity to maybe have the college career he'd hoped to have because, again, he was, you know, he was kind of thrown out there at the Wolves, let's be honest. And, of course, he got the pitch in Omaha in 2021. But I hate that things are going to end perhaps the way they looked there. But I have a lot of people telling me he is going to go in the top ten rounds and he will likely fetch a signing bonus big enough to go and uh we'd love to have him back selfishly but you know people are like oh well steve he'll just he can come back and maybe get drafted higher next year and yeah then he'll become a a super senior saver where they pay him well below slot and then give the bulk of that money to somebody else so uh, i do i do not expect Cade to be back if Cade's back i mean how tremendous would that be right i mean a guy that's got you know three years of experience in the southeastern conference that's uh you know, an older guy that's got a ton of SEC innings under his belt, you're not going to find that in the portal, right? But I think the probability of that happening is pretty slim, pretty slim. And then, of course, you know, you got some other guys out there that are fringe guys. Connor Hyzak is a guy, that, you know, having a good summer out there. We think he's back. I think he's probably going to be uh, an everyday player for Mississippi State next year. But with his power and his athleticism, you could see perhaps somebody taking a, a flyer on him late, and then you got to kind of sweat it out a little bit. But uh, – Reality of it is, is we should be able to get through the draft without a lot of trepidation. We'll preview that for you later this week on Gene's page. But, uh, you know, Aiden Smith, that's a guy we're kind of worried about. You know, we, we, we expect him. You know, again, two weeks ago we thought that uh, he was going to come to school, but starting to hear, starting to hear, you know, some things that perhaps that, uh, that he will ultimately sign, right? And so, again, a lot of it's going to depend on draft positioning. A lot of it's going to depend on the signing bonus. But uh, guy's an outstanding player, an absolutely outstanding player. Um, you're kind of looking, you know, there, there are a couple guys out here too that, um, you know, we're hoping for the best on, right? Uh, we, we feel really good about Dylan Cup. Obviously coming to be the uh, starting shortstop for Mississippi State next year. But, you know, there's a couple of these guys out here that, that we, you know, we're expecting those guys uh, you know, to come in and kind of do a good job for us. But, uh, you know, Colin Hoke is one that's going to go big time, big time, out of Parkview, Georgia. He'll be, you know, he'll be a guy that's taken really early. And you've already got some Bulldogs on campus too, some guys that are already part of uh, summer workouts. And I think Makai Grant is a guy, a right-handed pitcher out of IMG Academy. A lot of people thought he was for sure going to be drafted. I'm not so sure anymore. Not so sure anymore. You know, so we'll see how things progress. We'll see how everything looks. But, uh, again, the, the picture will kind of come into focus considerably here 
uh, within the next eight or nine days. Have a really good idea of what you got to do, who you got to talk to, who you're trying to court back out of the draft and uh, talking to coming back. I mean, that's a big part of things too. So things will begin to settle. And, of course, uh, you know, with guys on campus, we'll start uh, finalizing some of these uh, portal situations as well. So we'll be back with you on Friday. Hope you enjoyed today's show. And, again, my apologies for flubbing up the guess who stuff. But, uh, again, I, I hope that th- you were encouraged by what we discussed today about Kevin Barbet's ability to install his system and, uh, and have some, some positive results uh, as a result. So I, I think it's going to be an offense that you're going to be proud to watch. I think it's going to be one of those things, too, you're going to be excited to watch. And I think that's one of the things we, we feel like defensively we have the opportunity to be a really, really good defense. I think you're going to see the offense take a step forward this year, too, which should make us a really, really good football team. All right, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.